0: Well, good morning, dear church family. It's great to see all of you guys here today. Um, if you've been with us at all this summer, you'll know that we have been studying together the book of James, uh, which is one of my favorite books. Actually, it's, I know many people's favorite books. It's a highly practical book. James urges us to have a faith that is more than just a simple spiritual transaction between you and God so that you can go to heaven one day but that he urges us towards a faith that is a transformational faith that comprehensively begins to change every part of our lives and even the world around us. Certainly, James thinks that it's important what we believe I mean what we just did in confessing our historic faith is highly important. He would say that that's important. But what James would say is if that faith that you just confessed in the creed is not taking root in your life and beginning to actually produce comprehensive change— then your faith is worthless, is a faith that doesn't matter. He wants us to have a faith that matters. And so just to remind you where we've been, because we actually started this book a while ago, in the first three chapters of the book, James has been kind of walking through all of what he sees as the social and ethical and behavioral problems in the life of this church that he is writing to exactly sure who these folks were, but we know that they were experiencing all kinds of divisions and tribalism. Uh, They were discriminating against the poor. They were showing favoritism. They were selfish. They were having conflicts and fights. Uh, They were using their words harshly to tear one another down. There were all sorts of conflicts happening within this church. And now here in this fourth chapter, which many commentators believe to be the heart of this book, James in some ways pulls the curtain back on all of this bad behavior in the life of the church and says, this is now what is at the very root of the social and ethical problems in your church. At the very core of all these problems is this, the problem of the divided heart the problem of the divided heart. So if you are the kind of person who likes to take notes or who likes things in pithy phrases, we could say the message this morning is about this, that the heart of our problems is the problem of the divided heart. That the heart of our problems is the problem of the divided heart. So let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help, and then let's read together. So let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have given us the Word of God, and that through this letter written by a pastor to a church so many hundreds of years ago, your Word still speaks powerfully and relevantly for us today. And so we pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of the Word through the Holy Spirit, that we might not just be those who hear it, but we are changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at the Bibles uh, that you're holding or in the the bulletin that you're holding, you see... I'm going to actually reflect on the whole text, verses 1 through 12, but I'm just going to read verses 3 through 10, because that's really the the portion of the text that I'm going to focus on today. So let's start with verse uh, 4, actually, verse 4. James writes this, "'You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God.' Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. You know, if we're going to understand this pretty severe passage, we have to understand a little bit about the Jewish worldview that James was working from. And that when he was writing this, he had in mind a very powerful old Testament metaphor. Uh, the Old Testament uses many metaphors and images to describe God's relationship with us, his people. You're probably familiar with some of them. You know, God is a shepherd, and we're his sheep. Uh, God is a uh, father, and we're his children. God is a king, and we're his subjects. But one of the most beautiful and, I think, extensive metaphors throughout the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament, that God uses to describe his relationship with his people is that of marriage, that he is a husband And his people are his beloved bride. And so you have texts like Isaiah 54. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Or Ezekiel 16 verse 6. God says, when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine. Or the book of Hosea you might be familiar with is in many ways an extended Uh, meditation on this metaphor that God says to his people, I will betroth you to myself forever. So this is a pretty remarkable image of God as a husband. Man, I know this might be hard for you to get your mind around a little bit, but guys, it's just a metaphor. Get over it, right? It's just, you know, part of of understanding the Bible here. So there is, I just think it's such a beautiful imagery that God in some ways is saying to us, I don't want to just be your king and you my servants, or uh, Lord, and you my subjects. I don't want to just be this sort of uh, mighty genie in the sky that you come to me with all your prayer requests that I grant. God says, I want to be your lover, your husband, your spouse. In some ways, God is saying, What I most want from you is not your service, but your love. Very striking, very beautiful. And what we see is that what we're doing here when we gather each week and when we do things like the Lord's table, y'all listen, this is not religion, it's romance. It's not ritual, it's relationship. And that's what God wants for us. That's what being a Christian means. It means to see. That the triune God of the universe loves you and pursues you and woos you and seeks you and desires to be united with you. And you see that love and you respond by giving your own heart to Him with fidelity and loyalty and love. That's what you were made for that kind of long term, permanent, intimate, lasting relationship with the triune God. That's what makes you human, that's what makes you whole. That relationship of love, okay? So that's the context. James is drawing from that great metaphor of marriage. Now, with that context, we can understand the harshness of verse 4. So look at verse 4 with me. He says, you adulterous people. Whoa, (laughs) right? In the Greek, it's actually one word. He just says "adulteresses." Now, when we understand the context in this image that he's speaking out of, we understand that he's not literally talking about actual adultery in which lots of men and women in the church were married or having affairs against each other. That's not what he's speaking of. He is speaking of spiritual adultery. And I do understand that there are little ears in the room, and so I will be careful about the implications of that. But in many ways, what James is saying is, look, y'all, you have strayed from the Lord as your lover, your husband, and your spouse, that you have turned away. You have betrayed the one who loves you. And in this case, James is also standing in the Old Testament prophetic tradition. We see scripture like Jeremiah 3, in which God says, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel. Or Hosea, God says, you have gone after other gods and broken the marital covenant with the God who loves you. Or even Jesus, called those who didn't believe in him, this is a little harsh, a wicked and adulterous generation. And so what we see is that the Bible actually has a pretty different understanding of sin than we normally do. So we often see sin as like breaking a law or, or, or doing something bad. But what the Bible sees as sin is actually breaking a relationship. It sees sin not so much as legal, but relational. Not so much as transgressing a law, as transgressing a covenant. Sin is not so much breaking rules as Spiritual adultery, and, and that helps us understand this section about friendship with the world. You see that anyone who chooses to be friend of the world is an enemy of God. See, he's not saying that that you shouldn't be friends if you're a Christian. You shouldn't be friends with people who are in the world or who are not in the church. Of course not. I mean, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He hung out with those people all the time. What well, this is, he's talking about the loyalty of the heart. Friendship in the ancient world was really different than our notion of friendship. We, we use friendship in some ways to talk about casual acquaintances, right? Facebook has destroyed the word friend for us forever. You know, we say, hey, here's Bill, my friend. I don't know his last name or anything about him, but man, he's my bestie, right? <laughs> That's kind of our notion of friendship, casual acquaintance. But in the ancient world, friendship was rare, covenantal, and intimate. Friendship was about Uniting your soul with another person. This is why we can read in Song of Solomon when the lover says to another, here is my lover, here is my friend. So we see that in the context of the first century, when James says, condemns friendship with the world, he's saying you have bound your soul with the wrong lover. You have united yourself with someone who is not your true spouse. You have given your soul away. you committed spiritual adultery. Now... Does this apply to us? You might be feeling a little defensive, right? I mean, you might be thinking, hey, man, I'm not dabbling in other religions. I am not using, like, new age crystals. Like, I mean, give us some credit here. We're in church right now. We're not out playing golf. We're not recovering from a heavy party last night. I mean, here we are, right? Like, how bad can it be? We've had our kids baptized, right? Surely, James, this does not apply to us. Spiritual adultery, idolatry, us, But just think about it, friends. Just picture like a couple, a married couple. And though the husband is not technically committing adultery against his wife, he spends all of his time with another woman. Uh, He hangs out with her, he has dinner with her, he sends her gifts, he sends her uh, flowers. And then the wife confronts him and he says, What is the problem? I pay the mortgage, I work hard for this family. You've got access to my money. I do my duty. What is your problem? And, of course, the problem is she does not have his whole heart. The problem is, is that he has not technically broken the marital law, but he has broken her heart. And this is what God says to his people. He says, yeah, you come to church. Yeah, you get your kids baptized. Yeah, you know, you don't break the rules or you give your money. Whatever. He's saying, look, you have you have given, you have refrained from giving your, the totality of your heart's loyalty to me. You have held back from giving the fullness of your devotion to me and to me alone. You have let your, your desi- the desires of your heart pursue someone or something other than me, the God who loves you. Can, 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 I, can I just be blunt with you for a second? If, if you do not recognize... If you're a Christian and you do not recognize that you have a heart like that great hymn says that is prone to wander. You know that that great Charles Wesley hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. If you do not recognize that you have a heart that is a betraying, adulterous, straying heart, then you do not know yourself. I'm a pastor, y'all. I'm a professional Christian. You know? <laughs> You know, I'm supposed to do this for a living. And yet, I know that I have an adulterous heart. I know that I, I, at times, so deeply desire approval and comfort and security and power that I will turn to all other sources and I will seek to mine it out of so many other things other than Jesus Christ, the one who loves me. And if you know yourself well enough, you know that that's true for you as well that whenever you make anything more important in your life than the triune God, that when you turn to anything else for comfort or security or hope apart from him, when you turn to something else to manage the restlessness, the turmoil, the anxiety in your life, when anything other than Jesus is a greater priority or a stronger voice or a deeper love, if your career or money or having a family or getting married or having kids or grandkids or physical health or appearance or your, some political cause or pursuit or ambition or if anything is more central to your identity or if anything is more defining to your security or anything more grounding to your self-image than God in Christ for you, then you're an adulterer someone who has strayed from the God who loves you. The heart of our problem is the problem of the divided hearts. What's interesting, what James does here, is he says that these divided hearts often show up in the way that we treat and mistreat each other. Isn't that interesting? It has social implications, our divided hearts. So, look at verse 1. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You No, he's saying, think back on your last fight. Some of you don't have to think very long. Maybe it was on the way to church today. God bless you. All is well. It's okay. You're here. Uh, But, you know, when you think about your conflict, you think about the fights in your life, you know, you immediately, we all, it's our propensity to blame the other person because they're so selfish and because of their inflexibility and because they just can't see things clearly as clear as I do. But what James is saying, he's turning the spotlight on you and he's saying, do you see that the main problem in your problems with other people is the problem of your own divided heart? The problem is you. It's the passions that wage within you. And so can you see that like when you got mad at your kids this week because they're being so loud and demanding, James would say, could it be? That your kids were standing in the way of something that your heart deeply desires, which is a comfortable and undisturbed life. Could it be that when you got frustrated with your spouse or your partner this week because of their bad time management or because their spending habits, could it be that they are actually threatening the deep control that you desire to possess over your life, your household, and your world? Don't, sorry, don't, don't be looking at each other. That's not polite. Could, could, could it be... I mean, he talks about in verse 11 about gossip and slander. Could it be that when you have gossiped this week, when you have talked about that person behind their back, when you have slandered them, even when you have lied, when you've spoken untruths, could it be that you are using words in that way because you are so desperate for the approval of the people or the person that you were talking to that it works really well to bolster your own sense of approval to tear down the grace of another? Do you see So many of the pains and the conflicts that happen in our lives are born out of the fruit of a divided and distorted heart. Think of this quote maybe as a question to meditate on. Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? From David Pollison, Christian counselor. Great quote for you to think about. Does Jesus have total claim, unreserved, unwavering allegiance, or do you consistently give your trust and loyalty, service, and fear, and delight to someone else or something instead? The amazing thing is all of these things that we desire, loyalty and control and approval and success and comfort and security, all of these things are already ours in fullness through Jesus who gives us grace and yet we still seek to mind them from other sources rather than the one who loves us. So take a good look at yourself. Where is your heart divided? What claims your soul's deepest devotion? What do you most want? What do you most worry about? That's a good way to find your your lover, is what you most worry about. Trace your anxiety to the idols in your heart. What do you ruminate about the most? What do you find yourself thinking in sort of the dark hours of the night? If I can just get that, if I can just have that, my life will be fine. My life will be okay. God jealously desires the totality of our devotion. As it says in verse five, do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? When people are jealous, it is born of sin. When God is jealous, it is born of holiness, a pure desire for our full affection. God is not petty. He is not selfish. When he desires the totality of our hearts, it's because he loves us. And it's because he knows that any other false lover will destroy us. I just read a really wonderful novel. Um, I highly recommend it. It It's called The Two-Family House. Um, Anybody read it in here, Two-Family House? A couple of you. It was written by a woman named Lydia Logman, and it tells the story of two Jewish families in the 1950s who are sharing a brownstone house in Brooklyn. And the brothers, the the two men are brothers, And, and it tells the story of the relationships between these two families. And Rose, one of the women... Has three daughters, and she deeply desires a son. She deeply desires a son, first of all, because her culture has told her that without a son, her life and her family just doesn't have a whole lot of significance. She deeply desires a son because she thinks that having a son will somehow restore her broken marriage with her cold and unfeeling husband, Mort. And she deeply desires a son because she thinks having a son will finally make her life whole. And so I won't get the plot away, but she goes through Unreasonable and somewhat shocking measures to actually secure the son that she desires. And after she has him, rather than healing her life and making it whole, it brings utter destruction, leading her into profound bitterness and destroying her marriage and her family. And it shows in a stark portrayal what happens oftentimes when we actually get the thing our heart most believes it needs. And rather than healing it, it destroys it. And this is why God jealously longs for our affection because he loves us. He says, these things that you desire, they're fatal attractions. You know, the, 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 the money that you think you need, it will not heal you. The re- kids, the retirement, they will not restore you. The, these things that you long for, they will not make you whole. Only I will. And the heart of our problems is the problem of the divided hearts. Spiritual adultery. And so what do we do? What do we do? Here's another interesting quote that says, the Bible says that my real problem is not psychological, low self-esteem or unmet needs, social, bad relationships and influences, historical, my past, or physiological, my body. These are all important, of course, significant influences, but my real problem is spiritual, my straying heart and need for Christ. I have replaced Christ with something else. And as a consequence, my heart is hopeless and powerless. Its responses reflect its bondage to whatever it is serving instead of Christ. Do you see the truth of that for you? So here's what James suggests you do. Look at verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. How wonderful. What a great passage. Don't you love to read that to your kids? <laughs> I mean, why why so heavy? Why, what's so... What, does it have to be that... Depra- well, think about it. If, If truly the most... Important relationship in your life has been broken and there is deep betrayal there, then of course it will require this kind of deep grief and sorrow and longing and repentance and renewal. If any of you have ever been in a relationship in which deep betrayal occurred, you know that there will not be restoration until this kind of process full of tears and grief and restoration has happened. You know, when I was in middle school, I betrayed my best friend. Six, we went six years without ever talking about it. I never owned it. I never uttered anything about it. Six years we went. And we were friends, but there was a deep estrangement because both of us knew what was separating it. And then my senior year in high school at a retreat, I finally was able to name it. I spoke it. I named the betrayal six years later. And there was a lot of tears and a lot of pain but it broke open our relationship and it brought reconciliation in a way that suppressing it never could have. And so this is what God desires. He says, stop acting like everything's fine. Stop putting on a happy face. It's okay sometimes. Sometimes you need to put on a sad face. Sometimes you need to speak the truth and name the betrayal. And this is what he's inviting us to do. He's saying, look at, can you name the things that your heart goes after? Can Can you point to the things that you are prone to wander toward Can you name these things? And that is the first path toward healing a divided heart. He says, humble yourself under God's hand and he will lift you up. This is the upside down pathway of the kingdom that religion says the good are in and the bad are out. Jesus says the humble are in and the proud are out. You want a path to healing? Humble yourself, go low, admit the betrayal. Admit the sin. We get to do that today as we come to the table. But then, of course, this is the beautiful response of God. Verse 6, he gives us more grace. Don't you love that? He gives us more grace. You know, in that, I mentioned Hosea, in that great book of Hosea. Hosea marries a woman that he loves, but who doesn't love him back. And she keeps seeking after other lovers. And God says to Hosea, now you know how I feel. Now you know what my life is like, that I love a woman who doesn't love me back. But then this is what happens. By the end of the book, God says this. He says, how can I give you up, my Israel? How can I hand you over? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my anger, nor will I turn and devastate you. Listen to this. For I am God and not a man. I am the holy one among you. I will heal your waywardness and love you freely. When it comes to betrayal, God is not a man, and he does not handle it the way a man would. Thanks be to God. You know, I have worked with couples when actual betrayal and adultery has occurred... And when the, couple who has, when the person who is offended is able to repent and admit and commit to a process of change and show grief and sorrow, and when the other person is willing to build trust and forgive, sometimes it can heal. I have seen it happen. And you might think, oh, that must be the way that it is with God, that if I show enough grief, if I am sorry enough, if I cry enough, if I wail enough, if I repent enough, then Jen, just maybe, maybe God will forgive me and let me back. But no, he is not a man. He gives us more grace, and more grace, and more grace. More grace than ever reflects our repentance. More grace than ever expected. More grace than any of us imagined possible. More grace. Jesus Christ came among us and died for our betrayal, not when we were sorry, not when we were repentant, not when we were crawling our way back to our lover, but when we were running away. He did not come when we were ready for things to be made right. He came when we were strained and walking away. That is how committed God is to love you and to restore and to heal your divided heart. No amount of your repentance will ever heal your relationship with God. As we sing in that hymn, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite? No. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It is only through the, the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ who has taken our betrayals and adultery upon himself and was crushed that we might be united again with the triune God That is the only pathway to the healing of the divided heart. And so as we come to the table today, I know this has been sort of a simple message, but it's a beautiful message of spiritual reconciliation and renewal that God is inviting you to just do two things as you come to the table, to first confess and to go low and to admit the betrayal and the adultery. And he says, it's okay to do that. That's the way to healing. Can you do that today, friends? And then as you do that, you can look to Jesus, the one who has, before you could even get the words out, given you more grace, died for your sin, to restore you and reconcile you to the Father. Return to him. Return to your first love. Return to the spouse who loves you. Return to the one who has given everything for you. Return to him. And when you do, you will be free. As John Donne, that wonderful poet, once wrote, take me to you, imprison me, for i except you enthrall me never shall be free nor ever chaste except you ravish me we never will be free except you ravish me let's pray Would you just take a moment to quietly speak to your lover friend and husband and spouse the one who loves you What do you need to name? Perhaps even with tears, what do you need to confess with grief as you have broken trust and fidelity? We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that there is always more grace. You give us more grace, more grace than we ever imagined, more grace, grace that is greater than our sin. We're so grateful that we can ever return to you. We pray today that you would give us humble hearts that can admit the ways that we have strayed and betrayed, and then reconcile us to you through your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.